Hello and welcome to this week's episode of That One Time I Dated a Mormon. I hope that you are well and have had a very good week. Um, I'm going to start off by bragging that I had a snow day this week. Um, there is nothing as exciting for a teacher as a snow day. It's the most exciting thing to ever happen to anyone in the world. You think that students are excited by snow. You've never seen a teacher on a snow day. So um got up early on was it thursday morning yeah looked outside and the snow had there was nothing the wednesday night um so full of snow fine i didn't think too much of it because it wasn't particularly um heavy but you know the driving was slow but fine got there um but where i work it's um quite it's not a hilly, but there's lots of up and down country roads to get there. And by the time I got in, the roads were just completely backlogged and staff couldn't get in, kids couldn't get in, buses couldn't get in. So, unfortunately, we had to close. Um, absolutely devoted, obviously. So, um, I did a little bit of work just so I could leave when the roads had cleared a little bit. And then had a lovely slow day. I got some work done. I saw my mum and dad. Um, I went to the cinema to see Megan, which was an absolute car crash of a film. Um, just horrendous. But I saw it on a snow day, so I can't complain. And then, um, obviously, I went to bed praying to the God I don't believe in um, for snow the next day. Woke up the next morning, sprinted to the window and was furious that there wasn't snow the next morning on the Friday. But never mind. Snow day, brag. Um, and how funny is it that Rishi Sunak has been fined? So if you have not seen on the news, he released a video on Instagram, TikTok, something cringe for him to use anyway, um, about some bullshit scheme that he's not going to see through. And um, he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, so he's been fined. I think it's like at the most £500 is what you can get a fine for that, um, which obviously he's going to feel, isn't he, in the cost of living crisis at the minute. That's really going to hurt him. Um, but I just think it's funny that, not that he wasn't wearing a seatbelt, because that's dangerous and a bad, you know, role model to set, but just that it's him. Um, and just that he's got this kind of like smug, annoying little, I'm working for you face in the video and gets fined at the same time. Very funny. Um, and this, um, just embarrassing portrayal of, um, British politics is, I think, in direct contrast to what we're seeing with Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand at the moment. Now, I'm going to talk about um, the the news of her stepping down in more detail later on in the episode. But um, I think that you've got someone who, on one hand, as a leader, has come to the informed, intelligent, mature, sophisticated decision to step down so that the country can be led in a way that she believes um, is with more focus and more energy than she says she's got, quote, in the tank to be able to do it at the moment, because she's just worked so hard for so long and got through so much in her time as Prime Minister. Compared to the people that we've had here, who've had to be sacked, who've clung on with their claws as, as long as they can, who um, are filmed breaking the law like Sunak. Um, I mean, just such an embarrassment in comparison to... Um, you know, what Jacinda Ardern has managed to do in her tenure there. Um, and the focus on the presentation of women in the media and how 
just, just, I can't even say her name. I'm so upset that she's going. Um, Jacinda Arden. The response to her decision to step down has, I was going to say understandably, it shouldn't be understandably, but I think has um, expectedly um, led to some quite sexist news headlines that I'll get onto later as well. But the, the sexist presentation of women just continues in the media. I mean, as I mentioned last week, it's been all about the fallout of the spare book by Prince Harry, but somehow that has then been turned into more conversations around Meghan and what she's like and how much of a bitch she is behind the scenes, da, 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 rather than, you know, just focusing on Harry, it always gets skewed back to her. And in a magazine this week, they have... Um, done an article around Harry and Meghan's coronation showdown um, and how, you know, as if they have got, you know, the mission in life to, like, ruin um, King Charles III coronation. But then they've also got an article um, bigging up Kate. And on the same page, you've got Harry and Meghan being presented as this absolute, you know, bitching bastard power couple um, intent on ruination, whereas Kate and Will's, quote, united power play, because everyone loves a couple that colour coordinate. And again, it's just that constant um, battle between two women, two powerful women, a white woman and a woman of colour. Um, so it says how, you know, in one article, you know, the, just the really um, weighted language for both of them so prince harry is controversial um the duke and duchess have allegations that they either have against them or that they're throwing out towards um towards other people whereas for harry uh, whereas for kate and will the language is that they are complementary that they have huge cheers they have crowds of supporters um and then it even says that supposedly Kate has worn a tartan dress because it's similar to a dress that Meghan wore back in 2017 and she's wearing it on purpose to show that she can do better than Meghan in a dress. Yes, I'm sure that's exactly what went through Kate's head that morning when she didn't dress herself and someone else did it for her. Um, so with the um, news about Jacinda Ardern this week, um, it also got me thinking about um, a... Uh, a company or not a company but more of a um movement that i've just come across um when i've been looking at the award ceremonies of late with the golden globes and sag awards and baftas and oscars and so on and it's an organization called see her um so see like literally with your eyes so s-e-e -E, her h-e-r and there's a hashtag see her and it looks at um, trying to promote women of a certain age, women from different backgrounds, women from diverse um, cultures, and really trying to show them in the media in a positive way. And that women of a certain age particularly can be shown to um, still have viability in the public eye and that they're not cast aside as they used to be, like, you know, when they're 30. Um, and... With Jacinda Ardern's decision this week, um, obviously that plays into a lot of sexism around, you know, whether women can work and have a family at the same time. But it also 
really read its head this week with the news of Madonna going on tour. Now, Madonna is in her 60s. She's in the, the fourth decade of her career. And the tour is a celebration tour, celebrating 40 years of music. And just something that I noticed was the reaction to her going on tour in comparison to um, older men that go on tour as well. So there's an account by um, a professor called Dr. Pragya Agrawal, um, and she put together two news articles about G uh, Mick Jagger going on tour and Madonna going on tour. So when Mick Jagger went on tour age 70, um, the headline was all about how wonderful it was that Mick Jagger was, quote, extending the anniversary tour down under. And it showed a picture of him cheering and um, smiling and being happy. Whereas the article that was um, released about Madonna going on tour, um, and these are both from the same publication as well, the Daily Mail, um, the Madonna headline says that the, the promotion of the tour is tasteless, desperate, reduced to rubber romper suit, sad and gross, humiliating. She'll strip herself of her place in our cultural history. And you've got two people here who are of the same age, both still doing their job, both still working extremely hard, both extremely talented. But the man is praised for still working at 70, whereas the woman is basically slut-shamed for doing the same thing when she's actually six years younger. And, you know, the idea then of this movement, see her trying to say that women can still be um, powerful in their careers when they've gone past a certain age. Um, it just seemed to fit perfectly with, with the, the various stories about women um, rearing the heads this week. So back to Jacinda Ardern then for a moment. So just some information about her. So she was born in 1980 and she took office um, of Prime Minister of New Zealand in 2017. Her political party is Labour and she lives in Wellington. She's the 40th Prime Minister of New Zealand and the third female Prime Minister of New Zealand. And... Um, some uh, quotations from her when I was reading around her this week, just a couple of things that she said that stuck out. So she said, quote, everything I've ever thought about doing has been in some sense about helping people. I want to be a good leader, not a good lady leader. I don't want to be known simply as the woman who gave birth. Taking on a leadership role doesn't mean that you only have to be personally ambitious. And the fact that I'm the third female prime minister, I never grew up believing that my gender would stand in the way of anything and doing anything that I wanted. Um, so I'm just going to play you a, a news clip around her stepping down from um, Inside Edition this week, which also gives you a little bit of information about the things that she has then um, done and experienced as part of her role. New Zealand's Prime Minister is stepping down. I know what this job takes, and I know that I no longer have enough in the tank to do it justice. It's that simple. Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand since 2017, is resigning from office. With emotion in her voice, she told the press that she would not be seeking re-election. This has been the most fulfilling five and a half years of my life but has also had its challenges. During Ardern's first term as prime minister, an extremist carried out a mass shooting at the Christchurch Mosque. Less than one month later, the New Zealand parliament passed a law that banned most semi-automatic weapons and assault rifles. 
When the COVID-19 pandemic began in March 2020, Ardern said New Zealand would have the widest ranging and toughest border restrictions of any country in the world. Ardern was the second head of government to give birth while in office. The struggles of parenthood made the 42-year-old relatable to many, like when her daughter interrupted a Facebook Live. But you'll see that greatest certainty for business. You're meant to be in bed, darling. It's bedtime, darling. Pop back to bed. I'll come and see you in a second. In her resignation speech, Ardern said the cumulative challenges her team has faced has taken its toll. I know there will be much discussion in the aftermath of this decision as to what the so-called real reason was. I can tell you that what I'm sharing today is it. The only interesting angle that you will find is that after going on six years of some big challenges, I am human. Politicians are human. We give all that we can for as long as we can, and then it's time. Now, if you think about the comparison there between her um, explanation and, say, Boris Johnson. So she is openly saying that she's worked incredibly hard. She's got done as much as she can in the time. She's gone through an incredible amount of um, events in her time, in a very short time as prime minister. Um, and is stepping down because she knows it's the right thing for her country and for her family. Um, compared to Boris Johnson, who was clinging on until the last bloody moment um, and was just, you know, putting his own obsession with power before his country compared to Jacinda Ardern, who is quite clearly making the decision for the good of others. Um, now, the BBC um, did not respond in the most forward-thinking and supportive way um, because they ran an article about whether or not um, the decision for Jacinda Ardern to step down shows that women can or can't have it all and um, various news outlets have picked up on this and basically the BBC has been called sexist and misogynistic because of its Jacinda Ardern coverage. And one article says, quote, the BBC received a flurry of complaints from readers over its coverage of Jacinda Ardern choosing to leave her role as Prime Minister of New Zealand. Um, the BBC took an unpopular stance when it came to reporting the news. Um, Jamila Jamil, um, who, you know, as I know, as you know, I think is God, um, also uh, spoke out about this so I'm just going to read you and play you a little bit of her responses so one of her posts this week just said um about the BBC response um, this is a gross headline five years of being revolutionary and leaving on her own terms that is having it all two older men in England had to resign because they were by a country and had failed colossally but there were no headlines from the BBC about men having it all the women the woman, sorry, led the only perfect pandemic response and is well overdue this break. She's handing over one of the only countries still intact to someone else who hasn't just carried a country through three years of a global crisis, loving her forever and our men. Um, so I'm just going to play you a clip then of Jamil and Jamil actually talking about this issue um, and giving her, again, brilliant point of view about it. Look at this headline. Jacinda Arden resigns. Can women really have it all? 
I mean, come on. The BBC wrote something so unserious. Are you kidding me? That's so offensive. It's so weird. I, I don't think I've ever seen ever a headline about can men have it all, even when our two, like two of our three terrible prime ministers from the Conservative Party had to step down because they were doing such a god-awful job that they were basically being booted out. There was no headline from the BBC about can men have it all. I'm pretty sure Jacinda had two predecessors who also had to step down, one for his mental health, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. No one wrote anything like this. I can't believe the BBC have done this. How? Who sanctioned this? And she did have it all. She did a great job. She's got an incredible legacy that she's left behind. She's protected so many different minorities. She's handing over a relatively intact country compared intact country compared to most after a global pandemic. If she knows that she's run out of all the resources she needs to run a country properly, then good for her. That is part of having it all is having the agency, freedom, and, and knowledge to know when your time is up and to leave while you are still in one piece. If only more male leaders had the same self-regulation. I mean, I, we can all see when they're fraying at the edges and instead... And that's the point I really like, is the you know, the, the concept that it's not weak to step down, it's the actual powerful and thoughtful thing to do because she has the knowledge to know I've done a really hard job, but now someone else needs to take over because I've gone as far as I can. Um, and that's a really mature thing to do that in leaders you only seem to get from women. Um, and the response from the um, likely Labour leader following on from her, um, Chris Hipkins, so New Zealand PM Chris Hipkins, he's come out and said um, that taking a uh, following on from Jacinda Ardern and becoming prime minister um, or the vote, you know, the, the election to come prime minister after her will be, quote, the biggest responsibility and biggest privilege of my life. The weight of the responsibility is still sinking in. So, you know, I'd like to think that at least within her own team, um, there is an appreciation for everything that that, that she's done. I was brought in for rounders. Harvey asked me to go in an audition. Harvey. Oh, um, oh, oh there's a whole story. Um, oh. And I went and I did the audition, got the role, and then um, they wouldn't give it to me unless I signed my contract for, oh, this was after Scream 2, unless I signed Scream 3 for them for the same amount of money. Oh, they were leveraging oh, the sequel of that. And I said, how could you do that? How yeah. dare you? That is yeah. so not cool. So I, I had it out with Harvey on the phone and I and, and told him off. Oh, you and did? I did? Well, because he tried to call you. me all weekend because it was supposed to shoot the next following weekend. I was shooting Party of Five in Los Angeles. It required me flying to New York to do rounders and I had you know st stood my ground I said this is really not okay that one has nothing to do with the other yeah he tried to call me got my number this is something he was known for called me all weekend long my agents were like don't answer the phone I didn't ah. answer the phone and on Monday morning when I was supposed to be on set in New York where I had to take the job I, uh, I called him back and I said this is why I'm not on set right now Good for, oh, I love this. And 
I said, you know, this should not have been about you trying to navigate or manipulate me into another contract. Yeah. We should have been having discussions about script. The, the scenes actually need a rewrite. Those should yes. have been the conversations, not... How can you save another penny? That's and he goes, Nev, Nev, you and Gwenny are the only people who have ever stood up to me. I admire you, admire you. Don't worry, don't worry about it. And then never gave me a job again. Mm, yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so at, at that time, Miramax uh, owned Dimension, which mm-hmm, was putting out which Scream. Which Scream, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Good Will Hunting. Mm-hmm. Ding, ding, yes. So he was kind of at the height of his powers at yeah, that so- moment. Now, I mentioned earlier a organisation and movement called See Her and the hashtag See Her. And um, they have a website, they're on Instagram, they have a YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, um, probably on TikTok, but I'm too old to try and get to go to the TikTok. Um, and they are, like as mentioned before, a movement and organisation that works to try and make women more visible um in different professions and in media and the reason that i came across this only this week i have to say i'm late to finding out about it is because they released some statements around um women in the film industry and how um in this award season there are more women of different um, ethnicities and of um older actresses winning awards than ever before so, for example, um, at the Golden Globes and the Screen Actors Guild and various award ceremonies over the last couple of weeks, Angela Bassett has won, who's 64, Jennifer Coolidge, who's 61, and Michelle Yeoh, who is 60. And um, they they say that, you know, it's proven that women over the age of 40 are still viable, are still worth um, companies and film companies and television series investing in because obviously people are watching these films and television shows and enjoying their performances and the they were basically saying how the industry needs to wake up and then put more money into these types of projects because um with in the, they released some data that said that um for TV shows having characters of women characters over the age of 60. It's only 6% of television shows have women over of that age, whereas men over the age of 60, it's 12%. So it's double um, male representation of an older age than women on television. Um, and even if I just look at some data here, so this is taken from um, Equitable Growth just last year. And it says, interestingly, though, that even though there are in kind of in terms of media and on television and film, less older women working in United States workforce. This is across the entire country. Women actually retire later than men. Um, And as of um, 2014, um, there were. 10% more women working at the age of 74 than there were of men and the reason for that is that um, if you think that women are have historically always been paid less than men then basically they need to work longer to have the same amount of money men do when they retire. Um, Now if we think about the um, types of film roles and television shows um, that have become 
very, very heavily female-led over the last 10 years or so, and particularly of women who are older, which is something more recent to have seen. I think one of the most important ones is Grace and Frankie. Um, you know, obviously, they were very popular actresses in the first place of Jane Fonda and Lovely Tomlin, who come with their fans and a ready audience. But to have a television show um, on a very young streaming platform, two women of over the age of 70, 80 plus, leads in a television show who were the leads compared to the two men, even though there was a dispute over pay, understandably, Grace and Frankie should have been paid more. Um, and it was a huge success with all age ranges um, and, you know, was... Um, you know, won numerous awards as well. That was a huge game changer, I think, in making people realise that a television show could not only be led by women, but also women of a certain age. And there are other examples as well. I mean, if you think absolutely fabulous, um, you know, you have the two characters of Jennifer Saunders and Joanna Lumley, who were 40 plus throughout, you know, throughout the show. Um, even something, you know, more recent, like Motherland is very completely uh, female-led with women over the age of, you know, 35 plus, 40 plus. Um, when I know Desperate Housewives gets a lot of shit, um, but again, it was the um, longest female-led show. So in terms of the most episodes produced by female-led show, like 180 episodes. And that was a really influential show of having women at the forefront of a programme. And then um, programs with you know a slightly older female lead that have continued to be successful. Veep with um, Julia Louis Dreyfus, which is I think she's won the most consecutive Emmys, um, and she's in her sixties now. The Good Wife and the Good Fight with Juliana Margulies and Christine Baranski. So Christine Baranski not only came off The Good Wife, but then got her own spin-off show, The Good Fight, which has just been as critically acclaimed. So there are movements forward, but it's still obviously not enough and you will find that a lot of men still get um you know projects late into life and aren't criticized for them whereas a lot of women struggle you know to get the roles um unless you're Meryl Streep for example but seeing someone like Jennifer Coolidge who has been you know known for a long time and being on the radar and being known for doing lots of character parts like Stifler's mum in American Pie and being illegally blonde and so on but to then you know be shown to be respected for you know her work and at this age as well um and then you know, thinking about Angela Bassett. So she's, you know, obviously been a very, very successful actress for a long time. Um, and it looks like she will win her Oscar um, in the next month or so. And and that's really important for a number of reasons. One, she's in her 60s. Um, two, she is black. She's a woman of colour winning an Oscar. And three, that it is for a film that is not necessarily your Oscar bait. It's for a Marvel film, a fantasy film. Please don't come at me if I've said Marvel and it's not, you know, I don't know these things. But you've got someone there who is of a certain age, um, who is of colour and also playing a role in a film that's not traditionally Oscar worthy or, you know, thought to be Oscar worthy. And so it's showing that women can be successful and popular, you know, in outside what would be the, you know, norms for the Hollywood industry. Um, which is really important and really progressive. The clip that I played just before I started this segment was an interview with Nev Campbell. And 
um, you know, if you're a Scream fan, if you're not, then you might be aware, might not, that she declined returning for the sixth Green film, which will be out in a couple of months' time. The trailer just came out this week because she wasn't paid enough. And essentially her argument was that if she was a male lead of a franchise that was six films in over 25 years of a franchise, she would be paid whatever she asked for. But because she was a woman, they tried to just give her a lower salary. And I completely respect that. But in the interview, the little clip of the interview you heard there before, you know, she was talking then about the fact that she wasn't being paid enough and that the Weinsteins were trying to cajole her um, and trap her into contracts um, to get her to work for cheaper. And obviously there's a lot going on behind the scenes with the Weinsteins and all the other things that they were doing, um, which has come out. But you can see how you know, she will have fought for pay equality throughout her entire career, like a lot of other women do. Um, you know, and you you think of a lot of actresses who maybe don't get the same job roles as they used to. You know, Mira Savino has said that she was blacklisted because she, you know, turned down the advances of Weinstein. You look at actresses like Sarah Michelle Gellar, who was prolific in the 90s and early 2000s and is just coming back to television now after some stalled attempts. And, you know, people will always say, oh, you know, where did she go? What happened to her career? Well, it could be for a multitude of things. One, because she's dead to age. She's not offered the same roles. And two, because if they ask for a wage that they are um, worthy of, then they'll be turned down for someone who'll work for cheaper or they'll just have to take the lower wage. And I think it is um, respectable of someone like Nev Campbell to be so open about wanting to be paid more and that hopefully, you know, these movements like the hashtag See Her um, will help promote that even more. So I'm just going to play you an advert from the See Her campaign. Um, like I said, they do have a YouTube channel and this is just an advert trying to promote their work. The silence is so we've been working to change these stereotypes. That's why we're encouraging more girls to pursue their love for science and technology and engineering and math. That's why we've highlighted women trailblazers and encouraged media to depict more examples of women in STEM because it's hard to be what you can't see. Be better fathers who love your daughters. Be engaged. Be a better employer. Be better. Be better. Be better. Be better. So obviously there it was um, very heavily supported by Barack Obama and the advert just ends with basically saying um, when you can hashtag see her, you can be her. And it's the idea that if you see a woman in a certain job, if you see a woman of a colour, a woman of colour in a certain job, then you'll be inspired to do the same thing. If you don't see women in those job roles, then you'll never know that you can do it. Um, and that's why I think having someone like you know, Jacinda Ardern being a very successful prime minister, someone like Angela Bassett being of, of age, of colour, winning these awards, lets people know that they can then do it themselves. A little girl knows that she can be an Oscar-winning actress if she sees someone do it. That's why people like AOC are so important, because it shows that you can come from a relatively poor background, as she's very open about having to work, you know, multiple jobs in the Bronx, um, to then hopefully be thank fuck, um, the first female president of the United States, please. Um, now, what I um, just thought I would uh, end on was looking at some 
um, countries that have the highest rate of female workers and women who have the highest um, wages as well. So um, Iceland has 82% workforce of women um, and it's had the smallest um, gap between genders in terms of pay for six years in a row. So um, it's really forward thinking in terms of how women are treated in the workforce. Um, and at 41% of its parliament members are female in Iceland as well. An article for The Insider states that in 2020, Denmark was the best country to live in if you were a woman in terms of its gender equality and gender progress. But it also mentions other countries such as the Netherlands, Norway, um, Canada and Finland um, and Japan as well. And then I was looking at some data from business.org which looked at the best countries for maternity leave and supporting women in maternity leave and in terms of how they're paid as well. So top comes Greece where women have thir uh, 43 weeks of paid maternity leave um, with 26 of those weeks being full pay. Um, all the way down to in 10th place Colombia which gives 17 weeks of paid maternity leave of um, full and then there's, there's no pay after that. Um, UK are down in 23rd place with just 11 weeks of full pay maternity leave um, and then the worst country is United States which doesn't have any type of regulated maternity leave for women. So when you then get ridiculous headline articles from the BBC like, you know, Jacinda Ardern stepping down, can women have it all? Well, it's not as easy as that because in certain countries, you know, it's very difficult for women to do all the multitude of things they have to do in their day-to-day -day life because the actual system is set up against them. If you are pregnant and you want to try and keep your job and your career going and run a home and continue to be you know, a successful um, worker and the best mother you can be, well, if your country doesn't give you adequate maternity care and maternity leave, then you're not going to be able to, quote, have it all, depending, you know, whatever your definition of that is. So it's not as easy as just asking that question, because if the people in charge of your country and you don't help you, then you're kind of, um, you know, fighting a losing battle before you even start. Now, if you are interested in the See Her movement and see her campaign they as i've said have got a website see her.com they're, they're on instagram facebook all sites of social media and one thing that i would particularly encourage you to read about is the gender equality measure and the gem the gem as they call it so their statement is or their mission rather is to quote increase the representation and accurate portrayal of all women and girls in media marketing and entertainment to reflect culture and transform society um, there, as an organisation, they represent more than 7,200 brands and companies and put 70 billion into trying to make women more visible. Um, and they say that when companies start to um, support women of all different backgrounds, ages and races, that they then see on average a 56% increase in sales and in success and foot traffic on their companies. So, you know, basically saying that if you invest in women, your company will do better and your company will improve. 
um and you know when women then get it's that really difficult you know trying to make people realize that when a woman stands up for herself they're doing that because they're not only stand they have to fight for themselves because no one else will but they're trying to encourage other women to do it as well so when someone like nev campbell stands up and fights for more pay well she's doing it for herself because she has the right to but she's also trying to encourage other women to do the same um, and organizations like see her are trying to make that more visible and more acceptable so as always if you have any questions let me know that one time podcast at yahoo.com go and visit the see her organization as i've said see her.com um and they have multiple resources on there they've got uh, links to articles and books and um, conferences and talks um and loads of information about companies that follow um their suggestions as well And this week, I also went finally for my MRI scan that I've mentioned um, a few times before that I was just waiting to come through as part of the ongoing um, investigation into, you know, fibromyalgia and seeing if it's anything else or any other symptoms. Da, da, da. Um, so I was at the hospital on Wednesday of this week and I was there for quite a while, actually, because they did a few things, um, all the checkups and things as I was there. But the MRI process itself is a kind of on one hand, extremely smooth and straightforward and slick and then on the other hand completely bizarre at the same time so you know some of you may have experienced one or had a friend or family that's had or had one but if not so basically i arrived signed in checked in whatever fine had a questionnaire done um asking me you know if i had any uh, piercings or pacemaker anything like that because you know metal and massive tube um of an x-ray doesn't I don't think really go together um tattoos that type of thing um and that made me feel really old because I had to say that I did have one tattoo one tiny little um treble clef on my wrist and when she said oh how long have you had that I had to like count back the decades because I got it done when I was at university and so it's like 20 years ago now which is just gross that made me feel old Anyway, so then go take him through, drop everything off, change into the gown with the slit up the back um, and um, go in. So you lie down in this big machine that just looks like you're being fed into the mouth of a whale and strapped in. So your head, you know, you can't move um, like a, can't think of the words, like a, I was going to say strap on, but that's completely not what was put on my head um this i don't know helmet we'll say put around my head so my head couldn't move um and then given a little panic button in case I freaked out and then the woman um the lovely doctor who was talking talking me through she said you know when you're inside it's very loud so we've got some earplugs and headphones and but it will still be extremely loud and it'll feel like you're in the middle of some roadworks so go in and scan starts and then just out of nowhere i just hear this Dung 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 just continually for like twenty minutes. Um and I can kind of feel it almost going around my head. Um and it was like almost vibrations at some point as well. Um 
didn't like freak me out really. I mean, I just kind of closed my eyes and zoned out as much as I could. There were little mirrors around the helmet as well, so I could see the rest of the room as well. Um, but in odd ways, quite an interesting experience. Um, I've never had one, might not have one again. Um, hopefully won't have one again. And then um, had to just wait around afterwards to see if I had any um, reactions to the liquids that have been injected and whatever. Um, so hopefully should hear back within a week or so about that. Um, and obviously I'll keep you updated.